You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will, take your Bible this morning and turn to John chapter 15, John chapter 15. Um, home, that's a word that evokes a lot of emotions in our hearts, right? Memories and maybe some challenges as well in this earthly uh, existence, but uh, we are almost home, and I trust that uh, you realize that today. Is it not possible that uh, literally today we could be with the Lord? Is that not possible? Um, and if a day is as a thousand years and a thousand days as a year, then I would guess we're probably about half a minute from God's perspective of being home with Him, no matter how long it is yet we have to wait. And I'm thankful for that imminent return of Christ and uh, the entrance into home as we studied last week in John 14, the Father's house. And I trust that that steadies and encourages your heart today. John chapter 15, let's begin in verse 1. We'll read down through verse 5. Just a couple of words of note before we do that. Number one, next Sunday... Uh, we are hosting here at 1030 our first responder service. Pastor Nathan will mention that again at the end of the service today. But encourage you to uh, let folks that you know that serve in that capacity to join with us for the service. Uh, we have uh, one of our area judges, Judge Van Sickle, will be with us. Uh, some of our, one of our assistant uh, fire chiefs will be with us. Uh, and then we're inviting folks from uh, the county and outside of our county that serve as first responders to be with us. Pray for Brother Stoffer as he will be uh, preaching that morning, presenting the gospel and words of encouragement from God's Word. I'm looking forward to being here uh, with you in that special service. We'll pray over them, and then after the service, we're hosting a meal. They're going to have behind the building some of their, what they call apparatus, or their cruisers and fire trucks, etc., outside in the parking lot. And the idea is that we all get some food. We'll dismiss them first. Um, and then just kind of fellowship, connect with them, affirm to them how much we appreciate them. And it kind of has an informal feel. We won't sit down to eat. You'll just grab a little tray of food, a sandwich with a few sides to it. And then just kind of walk around, walk outside. Hopefully the weather uh, will be as beautiful as today. Let's, let's pray for that. And uh, man, this weekend has just been tremendous, hasn't it? But I want to invite you to be a part of that next Sunday. And anybody you know who either currently serves in those capacities or has uh, to be with us and those that are part of our church family. We look forward to affirming you as well next Sunday uh, at 1030. And then secondly, uh, in just a few weeks, you're going to start to see this room unravel as we begin to renovate this space. Many of you have been giving to our Amen project, and we're going to be replacing all of our ceiling, lighting, uh, flooring, walls, etc. Um, and uh, we will in two weeks. So two weeks from today, uh, we'll have a sign-up list out for those of you willing to help us um, and so if you could just make a note of that on November the 6th, we'll mention some specifics, but have a few work days. And some of it is all at once, and some of it is just we need some people to peck away at it during the week to help us kind of prep them, some things. Um, and so if you'd be praying about that, continue to give. Uh, we've had monies come in, and many of you have already given sacrificially. Pray God will help us in that area over these next few months. All right, John 15, verse 1, Christ says, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman or the gardener, the overseer, every branch that in me that every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away, and every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. 
Now ye, Christ says to his disciples, are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine, no more can ye except ye abide in me. I, verse 5, am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. And so we're resuming in our study of John as we've been working through this year. Our goal is to finish the gospel of John by the end of the year, looking at even closer ways that we can draw closer to Jesus Christ as John, the beloved disciple, gives us ways to do that. And want to look at today Christ as the true vine. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for the privilege it is to be here today. Lord, thank you for already the fellowship, the worship, these, these lyrics so rich and so um, uplifting and renewing and, and even challenging today. Thank you that we can sing them together at the top of whatever capacity our strength and our voice is today. Thank you for that privilege to sing with these dear folks. And I pray, fathers, we now enter the study of your word that, you would consi- that we would consider today where we need to abide in you, we need to dwell in you, we need to derive from you our mission, uh, our nutrients, everything that we need to not just survive but thrive. And I pray that our study today would challenge believers, would encourage them, and as well would invite others into personal abiding relationship with you. Bless this study, be honored in how it's taught and preached, how it's heard, and how we each applied in our lives this week before you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. I was thinking of the vine analogy, and I don't know if you have any of this in your background, but I I can think back to my formative years growing up in Butler, uh, the big sprawling metropolis of Butler, um, that if you blinked, you missed it, um, that kind of a thing. Some of you know where Butler is. And um, one of the things we had, my dad, uh, when I was, I think, about two, bought a farmhouse that was right in town in Butler and we basically stripped that thing down to the studs. Sometimes we even replaced the studs, and we basically renovated that all of my growing up years. And so I grew up with that remodeling bent, as you know, that I have. But one of the things that was in our house is there was a, a chimney, a uh, large chimney on one end of this, this beautiful two-story uh, farmhouse, uh, was a grape arbor. And uh, it was kind of just maybe about, I don't know, less than 20 feet off of the house, just kind of along the, one of the main walls of the house. Um, and I can remember uh, in the summer, and these were like the kind of grapes that, that you don't buy at the store, you, know, you just pop them in your mouth, you could, but these were the kind that you would, you, would, you would squeeze out for grape juice or you would add quite a bit of sugar to. But I can remember the bees buzzing around that, I can kind of smell um, that in thinking of the vine today, the moment that fruit is removed from the vine, it's at its peak, right? It has no further growth or uh, progress that it can accomplish. And I want us to think about today where we, at one point, Jesus was everything to us, and me and him, and you and him, there was a closeness, there was an abiding relationship. But sometimes as the years go by, we begin to detach ourselves from him. We begin to at least move to the parameters uh, of his presence in our lives. And I hope today God will challenge you as well, encourage you that we need to abide in Christ, he who is uh, the vine. And may I say today this applies not just in our relationship with God, but also with others. Most of the dysfunction in our relationships can all be tracked back to the lack of abiding relationship we have with Jesus Christ. 
I have found that if I'm abiding in Christ and you're abiding in Christ, there's no way we can't get along. (laughs) We can't head in the same direction. We can't even work through things of the past. And so our abiding relationship with Jesus uh, is a very uh, key component of our relationships as a whole. So what we're going to do, and there's a lot in chapter 15 and 16 of John that we'll not have time to look at today, but I want us to look at three key relationships that Jesus says, if you will abide in me, these three relationships uh, will be strengthened. These three relationships or types of relationships will be revolutionized by your intimate connection with me. So let's talk about those in the time uh, that we have left today. Number one, first of all, let's talk for a few minutes about the fact that this vine allows us to relate, first of all, to him. So the vine allows us to relate to Jesus as well as to his father in ways that otherwise are not possible. Go back to verse number one. Jesus says, I am the vine, I'm the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Um, And so we're going to talk about today how Jesus helps us to have greater relationship with God. Have you ever noticed that everybody likes to talk about God? Oh yeah, I believe in God, and yeah, me and God, and God this and God that. But then when you bring up the name of Jesus, there's a bristling, isn't there, that often happens in those that want to invoke the name of God, but want to disassociate from his son, Jesus. And so for us to have a relationship with God, it has to be through our relationship with Jesus Christ and through the things he's revealed to us in his word. All right, so let's talk about a couple ways that Jesus helps us to have a relationship vertically with God in a more complete and consistent manner. Number one, there in your notes this morning, draw even closer to Jesus' pruning presence. The way that he helps us, first of all, in our relationship with God and with himself is that he is willing to prune us. Uh, Heidi and I were having a conversation a few nights ago where she was helping me. Any of you men had your wife help you with a blind spot that you have? And the issue she was helping me with that I just appreciated so much, I immediately hugged her as soon as she criticized. I mean, as soon as she <laughs> constructively helped me. Is, is in the evening, she said, for, for now, I think years, she threw out years even, I, I yawn in the evenings, okay? And she was not, what's that? It, oh, I'm sorry. What was it? Incessantly? Excessively. I, we've resolved this, as you can tell. Um, she's going to yawn during my sermon now today. But anyway, she was confronting me and challenging me and helping me. And it's not just that I yawn, but they're prolonged yawns, you know, where it's kind of you yawn and then you kind of, there's a staggered release of that yawn, if you will. Um, and what was hilarious was after her doing that, she couldn't stop yawning that evening. I'm like, aha, see? Right now, some of you are fighting the urge to yawn after I just said it. Um, aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is willing to correct us when we're wrong? Um, I'm, I'm this week going down to Pensacola Christian College to preach to college students, and I will assure you, if you walk into the college dorms on that campus, they will smell different than the houses of the married men in this room this morning, Okay. We, we need that. Aren't you thankful that Jesus Christ is willing to correct us and challenge us and prune us where often we allow things to be between us and God? So he, he touches on that in the beginning of our text this morning. So in verse 1, you notice he says, I am the true vine. This is the last of Christ's seven statements of I am this, I'm the door, uh, I'm the good shepherd. And so he ends here in John with this last one, I am the true vine. 
In reality, Jesus first is touching on the Israelites, those that God had in the Old Testament often used the analogy of a vine. He wanted the, the Jews to be faithful to produce fruit and to be faithful to him, the one who had called them into relationship with him. And yet, decade after decade and century after century, the Israelites did not produce upon that vine what uh, God had intended. And so what does he do? He sends Jesus to fulfill what the Jews could never fulfill. And he's done the same for us as New Testament believers. And now this one who is the true vine calls us in a greater consecration to him. Look at verse 2. He says, every branch that in me beareth not fruit. So we're in him. This isn't a matter of salvation or not. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. Every uh, branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it that he might bring forth more fruit. Um, A difficult passage. What is he saying at the beginning of verse 2? I think it's a reference to a believer who becomes more interested in the things of this world than being productive and abiding in uh, Jesus Christ. And so this purging takes place. In fact, the word that's found there, taketh away, could mean that it's, it's removed. There's a premature death on the part of that believer because they're not being productive in their earthly life and existence before the Lord. That word also in other places has a more positive feel of, of, of encouraging this fruitless branch to be productive by giving to it fresh light and air, just by, by taking it up or removing some of the, the foliage that's distracting from the lack of productivity. And so Jesus is willing to do that for us this morning who are not fruitful. Verse 2, he goes on to say, even the branch that beareth fruit, he purges it, purgeth it that it may bring forth more fruit. Any vine, even a healthy vine, as I think back to the vines beside my house growing up, mildew and, and, and fungus and other things will begin to collect and assimilate upon that, that vine. It needs purged and refined to continue to be more productive as the years go by. One of my concerns, I just bluntly say this this morning, we live in a day, especially, and maybe this isn't quite as true as it was a few years ago, where retirement has infiltrated our mindset of productivity for the cause of Jesus Christ. Since when, as we age, should our fruitfulness wane or stop and we still feel that's a valid existence as a believer of Jesus Christ? It's not about the branch. The vine is vi- has vitality to it. We should always be productive. It looks different. I'll concede that today in different seasons of life. But this purging protects us from mildew and insects and, uh, and, and infection, if you will, of our soul that hinders what should be vibrant productivity until Jesus comes for us. And so this, this idea of purging is something that we must persevere in. All right, verse 3. How does Jesus do this? Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. And so the cleansing agent uh, is the word of God. Listen to me. Our lack of productivity is indicative of our lack of being in the Word and the Word being in us. Um, We blame God for things that I'm telling you have never been an issue with God. They're your issue and they're my issue as it relates to this Word. How can we be God's people and claim to be close to Him and not be close to Him through this book? 
You want to hear God speak? Open this up and let him speak to your heart today. And let that give to you a fresh sense of where he wants to take you and what he wants to do through you. This purging effect only happens when we are in the word and the word is in us. Maybe this question today that brings conviction to me. What if our relationship with Jesus, what it most needs, is not something that needs to be added, but something that needs to be subtracted? If I were to ask you, what's the next thing you need to see God do? What needs to happen between you and God? I assure you, for most of us, the answer is going to be something that's missing that we want added. And may I lovingly submit to you today, at least for me, it's less about that and it's more about something that needs purged out of me. Pride, self-will, carnality, materialism, the list goes on, comparison, all of these things that plague us and hinder us from being productive for the Lord. All right, go back to Matthew, would you, for a moment, chapter 9. And just a, a sidebar, because it's the same analogy as the vine of maybe some other things that God wants to purge out of you. So I mentioned some of the fleshly things. There's also maybe some other things that, that hinder our productivity, and I draw your attention just to this one verse. Matthew 9 and verse 17. After Christ is asked, why don't your disciples fast and do what we Pharisees say they should do? Christ says in verse 17 of Matthew chapter 9, Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break and the wine runneth out and the bottles perish, but they put new wine into new bottles and both are preserved. May I say to you today, one of the other things that I think God is trying to purge us of to make us more productive is our stuck in our ways, not being open to the new things God is wanting to do through us. I'm not talking about abandoning the faith or the word of God or what clearly God has taught, but sometimes we get in ruts that are not able to steward the fresh manifestation of what God is trying to do. And here in Matthew 9, Jesus is saying that the pressure caused by the fermentation of new wine would burst the old skins. They had lost their elasticity. They weren't able to, to adjust to that. And just as the life and liberty of the gospel ruins the wineskins of ritualism, we're studying on that on Sunday nights in Galatians, the introduction of what Christ was going to do would result in a tension that had to be resolved by these folks letting go of what they had held on to, this new order of what God was doing. Um, I'm concerned about in our day what is called deconstruction. Have you heard of that term, deconstructing or deconversion of faith? Um, somebody said this, I would tend to agree, decluttering, I'm decluttering, not deconstructing. I'm decluttering, I'm a decluttering Christian. Grateful for the faith I was raised in, for it brought me to Jesus, but decluttering junk I've picked up along the way. Learning that there's a lot that felt essential, but, but was just cultural clutter not tearing down the house, just cleaning. And I think there are things we cling on to, cling on to that have nothing to do with the vine or the word. They're just our take or our experience on things. And we're losing our productivity with the next generation. Jesus said, I want to purge you. I want to refine you. Are you willing to let him do so in the areas he's bringing to bear in your life? Until you and I regularly get around to and stay around Jesus, we will continue to tolerate excuse and even glory and attitudes and actions that greatly limit all that God could do and be in us and through us. Are we willing to let him purge us for greater productivity? All right, quick thought. This, this is convicting to me. This statement, somebody said this, 
Decide in advance that you will do whatever it takes to get your heart right, and then do it, even if it will kill all previous versions of you. You know, the greatest hindrance to your future productivity is the past version of you. We, we aren't what we once were. We're not where we once were. We're, we're moving forward. God is growing us and stretching us and refining us. Are we willing to put to death previous versions of ourselves to be more like not some other person, but more like Jesus Christ, the one who is the vine, the one who wants to produce in us greater productivity? All right, go back to our text now to verse 4 in John chapter 15. And notice a second component of this purging presence or this refining presence of Jesus in our lives. He says in verse 4, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except it abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. Notice the emphasis there upon the word fruit. All right, number two, draw even closer to Jesus' fruitful presence. So he purges us when we're in his presence. Number two, aren't you thankful for this? We become more fruitful. We become more fruitful. A friend of mine shared with me the other day, I don't know if this is odd to you or not, but he said that people's knees, like the physical human knee, just grosses him out. I don't know why, but it does. Um, and he was kind of just tongue-in-cheek talking about that. And then we were, uh, he shared that he came across a condition called genophobia, which G-E-N-U, phobia, which is a fear of human knees. Have you heard of this? And if you have this issue, you know, when all the skin kind of just all gathers there when the knee is straight, maybe is the part that bothers you. But this condition is, and there, I'm not kidding, this is an issue for some in, in the counseling world, have a vulnerability about knee injuries. So they, now they grossed out by others' knees. They're worried about their own knee injuries. They may experience anxiety when seeing or touching knees, crossing their legs, or having to kneel. Any of those issues with the knees just make them anxious. Can I tell you as it relates to Jesus Christ, when we kneel in his presence, when we are in his presence, there's nothing to worry about. It's a place of fruitfulness. It's a place of favor. It's a place of God blessing and using us. And so this fruitfulness that's found in the presence of our Savior. In fact, in verse 2, you will notice he mentions fruit several times. Uh, in verse 4 that we just read, he mentions the word fruit. In verse 5, he mentions the word fruit. In verse 8, he mentions fruit. And in verse 16, fruit, 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 fruit. May I just say this to you today? Where is the fruit of your relationship with Jesus Christ? To be in his presence will never produce a passive, stagnant, lethargic believer. There will be fruitfulness in the lives of those who fellowship with Jesus Christ. Does it look different in different seasons and stages? Of course it does. But fellowship with Christ will always produce fruitfulness. And in verse 4, he uses this word for the first time. He says in verse 4, abide in me. If I ask you today, define the word abide. I've learned not to assume definitions in this kind of a setting. What do you, what do you think of when you hear the, hear the word abide? Hey, just abide. What does that mean? It means, simply put, to stay where you are. To stay where you are. Positionally, we are in Christ this morning, and if we know Jesus Christ as Savior, our responsibility is to stay in His presence, to stay in close proximity to the one who has redeemed us. And so the branch is to abide in the vine. 
drawing its life, drawing its nourishment from the vine. We abide in Christ by staying in prayer, staying in his word, as we just mentioned a moment ago, fellowshipping with his people, and the list goes on. But we stay in his presence. We stay close to him. And as we do so, it produces fruit uh, in our lives. Verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. He reiterates this. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth not just fruit, but much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. So in verse 5, it's not a question of the branch living its life for the vine, but simply letting the life of the vine flow through the branches. Um, I hear this prayer, and I've prayed this prayer as well, where I will say to God, Lord, help me to live my life for you. That sounds like a good prayer. And I don't know that it's a wrong prayer necessarily, but what instead of saying, Lord, help me to live my life for you, what if instead I said, Lord, would you help me to let you live your life through me? Our fruitlessness is because we're doing it in our own strength, even sincerely so, instead of letting the life of Jesus Christ live through us and thrive through us as we simply yield to his presence amongst us. And so without Christ, we can do nothing. I remember growing up, we cut firewood for a number of years, and somebody's joking about my hand this morning. Jerry was about how cold it was. I said, yeah, that's my dad's fault. I cut firewood in the dead of winter. My toes are always cold. My fingers are always cold. But I remember Mohicans where we cut firewood and a lot of vines, grapevines, just hanging from those trees. We never cut the vines and used the vines. We'd strip away the vines to get to the tree. You know that the vine branches in and of themselves have no value? How much furniture have you seen made out of vines? Now, I've seen some Christmas tree decor with wound vines, but the vines themselves have very little value. You can't make furniture out of them. You can't plane them down and make something out of them. Their value, listen, they are a means to what can be produced. We in and of ourselves, we are not the value. We're not the asset to God. He loves us despite us, but it's what he produces through us. We are the vine. He is the branches. As we abide in him, he produces great fruit. Vines aren't even good for firewood. They have no value outside of what they produce. The other day I was teaching on this a few weeks ago, one of the wellness weekends we were at just a few weeks ago in Michigan, and I shared this thought of how our mission and purpose often, the loss of that is what hinders us emotionally and sometimes the struggles we have mentally and emotionally. An author said this, listen to this statement, the opposite of depression is not happiness but purpose. If I were to ask you, if you're depressed this morning, and there probably are some in this room struggling with depression, the opposite of depression is not happiness. It's knowing your purpose. It's knowing that God's working in and through you, despite maybe the struggles that you're facing mentally or emotionally. So our mission and purpose is to be fruitful. All right, verse six. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch. This is another hard verse. If a man abide in me, he is, not, uh, he is cast forth as a branch, all right, if he doesn't do that, and is withered, and men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. I've wrestled with this verse as well as back in verse 2 where it talks about him taking away the branch, and I don't believe, based on what I studied, that it's referring to is this person saved or not. They're not fruitful, so off with them. They're dismissed from the presence and from personal relationship with God. The issue here is abiding. The issue here is fruit bearing. 
And so through the carelessness of this believer who's not being productive, he commits some sin. He ruins his testimony. And just as branches are gathered that are unproductive and thrown in the fire, so the testimony of this believer is burned. It's interesting that in verse 8, it does not say God removes the branch, does it? Men do. For many of us, what's hindering our testimony more than anything else is we move our lips, but there's no fruit in our lives. There's no abiding in Christ that's producing fruit that's irresistible, that's undeniable. And so we share Christ, but it rings hollow because there is no fruit. Uh, think of David would be a great example. What, what did his sin with Bathsheba do? It caused the enemies of God to do what? Blaspheme his name. He lost his testimony because of the fruit of his missteps and not abiding in this God who had called him and given him his kingship. And so may we ask God for his help to be productive to protect our testimony. The man himself is not the branch. The branch represents the fruit of his relationship with Christ, the testimony. And so what we do will become obvious to others. Are we abiding or are we not? All right, verse 7. The positive now. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, these words that are purging us and pruning us, ye shall ask what ye, should, what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Verse 7 mentions that this abiding, the fruit is not just people getting saved or us having influence or reputation. It's also answered prayer, that our prayer life is more fruitful when we are abiding in Jesus Christ. The more we get to know Christ through his word, the more we understand his will, the more we understand his will, the more our prayers will be answered because we're praying his will that's found in his word. When's the last time if I said stand and share an answered prayer, something that unmistakably you ask of God and he did, do you have something today? Do I have something today? And I will tell you, the answer to that is in direct proportion to how much we're abiding in his word and his will is known by us, which then we're able to pray to the Father. And so this fruitfulness of Christ's presence affects our prayer life. Just a thought today, the issues in our failed prayer life, I struggle in prayer many times in areas that I wish I could do better in, but the issues in our failed prayer life have less to do with our asking and more to do with our lack of abiding. Just being with God, living, doing life with God, out of the overflow of that will come fruitful prayerfulness. Verse 8, herein Christ said, as my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. And so as his disciples become more like him, as they abide in Christ, the Father is glorified. How many of you this morning did not have power, at least through the night or in the morning? Any of you? A few of you from the Orville area? All right, you got it back toward the end. I think Orville, Marshallville last night at least didn't have power. Um, this morning I, I had power. Sorry to rub that in, okay? Um, but it was before the sun had come up, you know, until time change, it stays dark pretty early or pretty late in the morning. I'm sitting in my home office, just kind of working my way into the day. And I kind of looked up over, I had my laptop screen open. I looked over the laptop screen out through the, I have a picture window out of my office. And there's a deer just staring at me. Like I'm in a country lot just near the College of Worcester. And uh, I don't know, because the light was on, he could see me, he was watching me. Um, have you ever thought about 
as you're doing whatever you claim to be doing with God, that God see, actually sees that and that others see that, that there's a profile to our walk with God, our relationship with God and with His Son. And my question to you is this, when others see in our lives a lack of fruitfulness, it robs God of His glory. And when they do see fruitfulness, God gets glory from that. Does that not make then our fruitfulness a big deal? Others are watching, not to see us and add a boys and add a girls. It's so they might praise our God. The glory of God is at stake. So our abiding in Christ is not, eh, I don't want to be so productive. I'm not really about having a bunch of things going between my soul and the Savior. It's more than you involved. It's more than even others involved. It is the reputation of God. And so praise to God is brought when we are in Christ's presence and when we are productive for Him. And we prove that we're His disciples. Did you notice that at the end of verse 8? So shall ye be my disciples. They will know that you're my disciples because of your fruitfulness. And one of the things that I see in our day is that we've settled for less than New Testament Christianity. Um, New Testament Christianity is productive, it's, it's fruitful, it's abiding in Christ, and we need to return to that. An authorized reading said this, the New Testament does not offer a lot of encouragement for people who want just enough Christianity to be saved. There's not a lot of scripture on that. But when you want to go further and you want to be more productive for Christ, there's much the Word has to say on that. And so we will never be fully fruitful until we make our number one priority fellowship with Jesus. What's on your schedule this week? What's on mine? Can we really not find time to be with Jesus every day of this next week? Can we not abide in his presence even as we go about other tasks and responsibilities and relationships that we maintain? Is he not worthy as we just sang? Is he not worthy of us pursuing that relationship? And so our responsibility to Christ is to abide in him. May we do so. All right, number two. Go if you will down to verse 12. So Christ first helps us as we abide in his presence, our relationship with him and with the Father, the vertical. Now let's talk about the horizontal. This is my commandment that you love one another, verse 12, as I have loved you. Number two, the vine helps us to relate to believers, to others that are in the faith. Vine that helps us relate to other believers. Any of you have a dynamic in your home if you have young kids where they want to stay up late to do whatever, and you're always pumping the brakes on that one because you're ready to go to bed at 9.30 if you're like me, because um, you're yawning so much, your wife just doesn't want to hear another <laughs> yawn. Um, and uh, as they get older, like us right now, we have high school boys, and it's, it's the late night sporting events, okay? Not just the ones on the weekends, but during the week. And my one son is a Lakers fan. Their games don't ever start before 10 p.m. Yes, you heard that right. Something <laughs> starts at 10, 10 p.m. our time. Uh, the other day I saw this picture. So this is the contrast between your child when they ask. So the top picture says this. My kids asked me to stay up for just one more show, Father. Okay, very sweetly. The second photo at the bottom, same kids the next morning. Okay? And you as a parent, you know that, right? That that's probably where it's going to go. And so it's not being the big meanie. It's just you want to avoid the snarl you may get in the morning, okay? Um, isn't it a challenge sometimes to relate to other people and not just to people that are outside of the faith, but even other believers? 
You know, that's a symptom where we struggle with that, not just about their issues or our issues, but the fact that we're both not abiding in Christ, the one who unifies us and removes some of the disparities and divisions between us. And so abiding in Christ helps us to better relate to other believers. Let's talk about two areas of this quickly. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' commanded friendships. So these friendships that we're to have with other believers are not optional for the abiding believer. They are things that he has commanded. Look at verse 12. He begins, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. We're going to talk about in just a moment, but Christ knew that there were some tough times coming for the disciples. The world was going to be against them. They were going to be persecuted. Every one of these disciples was going to give their life in some way for the gospel of Jesus Christ, many of them as martyrs. Um, and so there was going to be tension and struggles, and he knew the tendency would be for them to turn on each other in those moments of tension. And so he commands them, he sets as a precedent this standing order of, you guys are to love one another. And notice he says, not in a superficial way, but as I have loved you. That's the level of love we're supposed to have for one another. If Jesus Christ were here this morning or we had a friendship with him, I guarantee you we would have no issue having fellowship with him, ever. He would never disappoint us. He would never, in the wrong sense, make us feel uncomfortable. He wouldn't forget us or forget some special day or moment. He would never fail us. And where our friendships and relationships with other believers are not what they should be, it's because we're doing the relationship instead of Christ through us. And so abiding in Him, letting Him be the standard of our fellowship one with another. Uh, go on, if you will, down to verse 17. He re reiterates the same command. These things I command you, that ye love one another. And so this verse, this is the last time you see in this chapter the word love reference. We're going to get to hate, hate, hate. And so he, he transitions here by saying the world's going to hate you in just a moment. He'll talk about that. But may you love one another. Notice the repeated command. Did you see that in verse 12? These, this is my commandment. Verse 17, these things I command you. And so the believer who is abiding in Christ, their relationships are motivated by obedience. I don't do right by you today because you always do right by me or because I always do right by you. We ought to have relationship because he told us to, right? Our love for one another is motivated by obedience to Jesus Christ. Um, tonight we have two things. I would invite you back. We have Lord's Supper this evening. Encourage you to be back for that. For our church members, we have a church family meeting after church. Um, it's amazing to me how selectively we fellowship with other believers and let some others carry the load in certain areas. Some of you are newer, so I understand that. But we're in this together, right? This church moves forward as we move forward. Our obedience to the commands of Christ, we must do so together, to gather uh, to remember, to steward well what he has entrusted to us. Uh, one author said this, I love Jesus, but not the church. That statement, I love Jesus, but not the church, is not a Christian sentiment. You can't love Christ and not love the church and those in it with all of our quirks and idiosyncrasies. That, that, that doesn't parallel the word of God and clearly what God has given us in it. And so love Jesus, love the church, and do so out of obedience to his Command. See, to be in the vine is to be intertwined with other believers. 
You don't have a vine with Jesus by yourself that you're this one lowly branch that can just flourish and do whatever you want whenever you want. The vine is it's a compilation of all kinds of vines, not even in individual sprouts. They intertwine. They strengthen one another. They support one another. And our abiding relationship with Jesus needs to have that profile and greater consistency. What distance are you creating from other believers because you're not as close to Jesus as you claim to be or would like to think that you are? Just own it as I have had to do and lean into the relationships that he's given to each of us. All right, go back to verse 13. And we see a second area quickly of how the vine helps us properly relate better to other believers. Verse 13, greater love had no man than this, that a, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Number two, draw even closer to Jesus, motivating intimacy. So his commanded friendships, number two, his motivating intimacy. The fact that we know him ought to motivate us to have greater intimacy with other believers. And in verse 13, he says we ought to be willing to, as he alludes to there, to lay down our life for our friends. If I'm willing to lay down my life for you, I'm going to have no problem getting along with you, right? And it is our, our autonomy. It's the fact I'll have friendship with you as long as it doesn't cost me anything that is ruining the ranks of believers. It, everything's about our schedule and our time and our bandwidth, if you will, of energy. And, and I don't have time for that. Honestly, many times just means I don't care enough to be a part of that. Our schedules are not as full as we testify often, especially as it relates to other believers. May we clear the calendar if necessary to own these responsibilities, motivated by what Christ has given to us. Do you think Jesus had a few things going in the ivory palaces that he vacated to come start relationship with us? He was juggling the cosmos. He had angels queued up to sing to him, holy, 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 over and over. He had a few things going, and yet he cleared his calendar. He, he, he lowered himself and limited himself to reach to us. And so out of that should come motivation in our relationship with others. Um, and I have, I'll say this as it relates to being a pastor, and I appreciate many of you loving on us and our staff this month. And I have it easier than most as, pa as a pastor. But I heard this the other day, and this applies to, I think, the believer. You could substitute out the word pastor. But somebody said this, the call of a pastor is the call to die a little bit every day for the sake of the flock. And is that not true of every believer? The call of every believer is to die a little bit every day for the flock. When have you last died to yourself for the benefit of another? Jesus died for us. We have relationship with him. We have no excuse. All right, verse 14. He then brings this to his disciples. Ye are my friends if ye do whatsoever I have commanded you. And so he shows that friendship with him is evidenced by obeying his commands, specifically the command given prior to love the brethren. Verse 15, Henceforth I call you not servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. Isn't it interesting how Christ brings the disciples closer to him as if they were not close enough? He says, no longer are you just servants, where I'm just giving you commands I now want you to know what God's going to do. And he begins to reveal to them a more intimate access and relationship with him. Not just servants, but also friends. Maybe a question this morning to help you process this. Where are we settling 
to be only servants of Jesus Christ when we can be much closer to Jesus. We can be his friends. And we can do so by befriending those that he has put in our lives. I can't hug Jesus this morning, but I can hug you. You can't hug Jesus this morning, but you can hug me. I can't touch Jesus. I can't, I can't uh, in any way show affection to him tangibly, but I can do it toward you, and you can do it toward me. And so this love and affection that God gives to us ought to be freely uh, given to those around us. It motivates us in the area of intimacy. All right, last verse in this section. Look at verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. Notice this phrase, and that your fruit should remain. That whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And so here Christ says, not only is this for those that are a part of God's people, but this is also something to share with the world. Did you notice that? You shall go and bring forth fruit, new fruit. You're to share the gospel, the love of God to the world that you're in. And so this heralding of salvation, this winning of souls is the calling given to those who love the brethren. With equal access to Jesus, there's no reason we cannot or should not draw closer to one another and out of that closeness to reach the world. Why is it that people don't want to come to church and hear the gospel? You know, one of the main issues is because we have arguments between us. We're known for two things as God's people, unfortunately, hypocrisy and splits. And it happens over and over and over. Our biggest issue is not the lost and their hedonism and their defiance of the gospel. Our issue is we can't get along with each other because we're not willing to abide in Jesus Christ. So may God revolutionize our missions and our personal evangelism by leaning in to these relationships God has entrusted to us. So our relationship with others should be defined by love. Abide in Christ, love the brethren. All right, lastly, go to verse 18. Let's talk about a third relationship that this true vine alone can help us grow in. And we see a clear pivot here as I reference at the end of verse 17. So love is one of the last words in verse 17. Notice how it pivots drastically now in verse 18. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Lastly, the vine helps us to relate to the world. And by the world, I don't mean the globe or the seas or the continents. We're talking about those outside of Christ and how we can have proper relationship with them. Uh, anybody of you noticed that in Worcester, it's become very vogue to add roundabouts to our traffic flow? Have any of you noticed that? Did I just hear there's another one north of the Grace Brethren Church now by the new Menards and all of that? Is that true? There's now two where you literally just keep spinning and you're dizzy by the time you get... I, I, I've been scared to go up that way recently. Um, and we just keep adding them. We have three within, you know, just spitting distance of each other. Um, somebody was asking a guy, he said to this man, he said, how much faith do you have in the human race? Okay, so this was the question. How much faith do you have in the human race? To which this man responded, I look both ways at every roundabout. <laughs> both ways. Does that resonate with you? I, I don't trust people, okay? Do you struggle with that cynicism? I do. How, how do we process a world that does disappoint us and even attack us? And how do we process these this pushback that often happens as we try to abide in the vine. Because here's what I struggle with. I'm abiding, I'm abiding, and then I get attacked. 
And I want to leave the vine and start World War III with that person or that situation. So how do we stay in the vine and deal with the things outside of our control and those outside of our control that push back? All right, let's talk about two things in the time we have left. Number one, draw even closer to Jesus' shared resistance. I love this part of our study today. Draw closer to Jesus' shared resistance. And in verse 18, as, it, as we read, if the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. Isn't that comforting? Um, I was meaning that seriously, but now that you laugh, it, it does, it's not so comforting. That's true. I guess my point is this. There's nothing we go through that we go through alone, right? And the reason I can abide in the vine is because the same vine that I'm abiding in has had the same attacks leveled at him, probably in greater intensity and and longevity than anything that I will go through. Uh, and so we see this sharing of it. Verse 19, he goes on, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you're not of this world, of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. You notice people love to be around you as long as you love what they love and excuse what they excuse, but the moment you draw a line in any given area, mm, there's a bristling that happens. Christ said that's, that's natural, that's, that's part of living as a believer in a very fallen world, and get used to it, if you will. Be willing to abide in me through those seasons of resistance. Verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my sayings, they will keep yours also. And so as a servant, we are not above what our master has gone through. If he was persecuted... Why would we be so shocked when we who claim to follow him are also persecuted? Lastly, in this section, verse 21, but all these things will they do unto you for my name's sake, because they know not him that sent me. This hatred, this persecution is not because of us, but because of his name in our association with him. Um, I think one of our greatest struggles in our day is we take personally things that really have nothing to do with us. And those who abide in Christ never take personally what really is an attack against our Savior. It's not about us. It's about the one we represent, the one we associate with, and the conviction, the challenge, and the rebuke that His presence in our lives brings to them. And so our issues today have less to do with the world's resistance, more to do with our lack of vibrant relationship with Jesus. May we grow that to be able to stand up under that pushback that he promised would come. All right, lastly, go to the beginning of chapter 16, and we're not going to study at length this section, but I just draw your attention a couple of verses as we land today, beginning in verse 1. All right, so go over to the next chapter, and and sometimes our human divisions of chapters kind of segment the Word of God in ways that almost stop the flow. Um, There was no chapter 16 in Mark's uh, letter or John's letter, Um, And so the flow here clearly keeps going in verse 1 of chapter 16. These things have I spoken unto you. What things? The things he just said. That you should not be offended. That you should not be offended. All right, lastly, number two, draw even closer to Jesus' previewed rejection. Draw even closer to Jesus' previewed rejection. He tells them ahead of time, you guys are going to suffer persecution. He warns them and strives to help them be uh, prepared. Yesterday, some of us went out and invited our first responders to stop by some of the police and fire stations in our area. 
and uh, several of the volunteer ones, no one was there. We just left something on the doorstep. But we were down at uh, Worcester Township, uh, down kind of where 83, right that curve there, the 250 extension. Um, and uh, we just were expecting to say, hey, we're having First Responders Day next Sunday. Here's, here's a, a little gift thing. And the guy just said, you want to take a tour? Like, sure, yeah, let's do it. And so he walked us through the whole thing. We got to see where they make their food. He was telling us that being a firefighter is more about being able to fix food than any other qualification, which was interesting. Um, and they teach the new you know, recruits, you got to learn to cook. That's the first thing you got to do as a firefighter. Um, and he just showed us everything, the, the trucks and where they sleep and all the things that go with it. He just welcomed us in. Do you know that's the exception when you go knocking on someone's door or trying to initiate something with the love of Christ? Uh, and I think sometimes we're shocked by that which God has thoroughly warned us about. And he talks about that in verse 1. He says, listen, don't be offended. Don't be tripped up when they push back against your message. Verse 2, they shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. Does that sound familiar? Where those that actually attack God's people think they're doing the right thing, the spiritual thing. We have to be prepared for that. And so he warns his disciples that this would be the response of the world at large. Uh, verse 3, and these things will they do unto you because they have not known the Father nor me. That's the issue. Verse 4, but these things have I told you that when the time shall come, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. And so this memory of what Christ forewarned them about would strengthen their faith and their resolve in the midst of the hatred that was directed their way. The end of verse 4 where he says, these things I said not unto you at the beginning because I was with you. Here's Jesus saying, hey, while I was here, they attacked me, but I'm getting ready to leave. You're going to be my body. And so you need to know what's going to be leveled against you as followers of me. Um, the closer we are to Jesus, the more prepared and the more poised we possess when we get pushed back. And when we cave and we balk and we just kind of backpedal, it's, an in, it's indicative of the fact we're not as close to Jesus as we claim to be. Where's our poise? Where's the resolve? Where's the spine, if you will, of our faith willing to stand even when others push back? And so this preparation is ours as we stay close to Jesus. So our responsibility to Jesus is to abide, to the brethren it is to love, and thirdly, to the world, it's to testify as the word. As we abide in Christ, uh, we are able to testify of the goodness and the grace of Jesus Christ. All right, can I ask you this final question today? Like you think about for a moment, how do you and I know that we're abiding? So if Christ says in verse 5, abide in me, because without that you can do nothing, how do we know this morning that we're abiding? And I give you just this little question, not original with me, that I think helps us identify whether we are abiding in Christ or we are not. Here's the question. Do we eagerly long for the coming of Christ? Or do we want him to wait while our love affair with the world runs its course? That is the question that tests the authenticity of abiding faith. We are in love, listen, brethren, we're in love with everything and everyone but Jesus Christ. Many times in our day-to-day, -day, starting with me. And because of that, it indicates I'm not abiding in Christ as I should.
Do we eagerly long for the coming of Christ or do we want him to wait while we have our love affair with the world and it runs its course? Go back to verse 5 and we'll pray. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same, the same one, no matter what stage and season of life you're in, bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, ye can do nothing. And of all the fruitfulness and favor that abiding in Christ produces, there's none that's more remarkable and more enduring than relational fruit. You, you ought to have, listen to me, you ought to have more relational influence and connection than you've ever had in your life if you're abiding in Jesus Christ. Do you have someone you're influencing? Do you have someone you're shouldering and going through life with and they're doing life with you? That ought to be expanding, not shrinking. It may change. God may take someone we love and care for out of our lives, but there ought to be relational dynamic growth, not isolation, relational dynamic growth. Here's the question, we'll pray. We allow God to give you a healthy, healthy relationship through Jesus to God, to other believers, and even to this lost world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.